church can we just all agree that on the Sunday that you get an hour back it is just a gift of God now the devil may take it away in the spring but we're gonna celebrate Jesus giving it to us today <laughs> well about 17 years ago I no sorry longer than that when I was 17 I was in this small little uh, village in uh, the northern part of Mexico. I was a 17-year-old pastor's kid who was forced to go on a missions trip because his dad was the pastor. My folks are watching. Thanks, Dad. And it was one of them trips where, like, uh, you, you do a play. Ours was uh, about a pirate and a captain. Pirate was the devil and the captain was Jesus. They typecasted me as the pirate, Pastor Melvin. And uh, and you do the thing, and then and then you give a, you give like a call for people to come forward. And so we did that, and nobody came forward on this particular little village. And so we're standing there, and some leader came up to the 17-year-old pirate who didn't want to be there to begin with and said, hey, go pray for that guy over there. And I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. So I walk over there, and I start praying for this. Well, how this happens, this, by the way, is 100% true. I said to this guy, hi, how are you, through some kind of broken English-Spanish version of conversation that we had. And, uh, and come to find out, this guy is a farmer, and he doesn't farm for like selling it he farms for living and there had not been rain for several weeks and his prayer request was that we would pray for rain could you set the bar a little bit higher than that one like I was hoping maybe like a calf needed to get healed or like some farm equipment like a part could come in I don't, but rain so I looked around, I could not find the prophet Elijah anywhere. So I said, well, we're going we, we to pull out our very best apostolic, prophetic, powerful prayer. We're going to pray. Before we bowed our heads, I looked up in the sky, and all I saw was a little cloud, super tiny. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So we prayed this powerful, amazing, prophetic, apostolic prayer. It went something like this. God... Rain, please, amen. I finished praying. I looked up at the sky and I swear the cloud was gone. Like, awesome, I made it worse. <laughs> so somebody else then says, hey, let's go on a prayer walk. And I didn't even know what a prayer walk was. They said, you walk and you pray. I'm like, all right, fine. So we walk about 10 minutes around this village. And as we're walking, I kid you not, by the time we finished, the rain was pouring in this little village. I mean, y'all can clap. I was shocked. Two distinct thoughts kind of get Got, got seated into my heart as we get on that bus and we drive away through this pouring rain. Number one, this was the sentiment that, that still marks me for today, that the, the push and the thrust of the gospel is that it would be spread and that it would go to every place that it isn't. 
That when we read our text, everywhere that we look, the gospel has one sentiment in view. It is pushing, it is going, it is moving to lands and to people and to places that it currently is not. That it unveil a God, one named Jesus, who's not known. But, but, but the second truth came to my heart. It wasn't just that the gospel was pushing. It wasn't just that the gospel was prodding. It wasn't just that the gospel was, was wanting and, and desiring to go places. It was that it wanted me to carry it there. That I was supposed to partner with the process of moving and pushing and speaking and declaring and praying prayers without a whole lot of faith. And if I'm honest, maybe you're honest with me, I can get my head around the premise that the gospel's called to go somewhere. But I real quickly kind of ignored the fact that it needs me to go there. Because it's just easier to stay on my couch in my living room than it is to take the step of faith and talk to that person on my neighborhood, talk to that person down my street, or for that matter, get on a plane and go somewhere. And every place that I choose to not partner with the gospel being pushed into places where Christ isn't known is a place that I'm out of sync with heaven. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 24. Jesus is asked this question by his disciples, what is it going to be like when you come back? And Jesus gives a list of all kinds of stuff that far outweigh what's going on currently in our land. And then he makes this statement, he says that and the gospel, verse 14, of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. The prophetic time clock, the, the, the prophetic marker of what heaven is doing is not what's happening in the land around us. It's not economic systems falling and coming. It's not kings and governmental processes. It is this. Where is the gospel going where it currently is not? And every place that I join in with that mission to take that call and that gospel to places where it isn't, that's the place of alignment with heaven's job. Where am I working to see him known in people's lives around me? Now it starts in my heart. Like, let's be honest. We got places in our own heart that I think Jesus isn't known. Come on, I like them in my, in my kitchen, I like them in my garage, but stay out of my bedroom and basement. There's sometimes he's got to be known in my own heart, but other times he's not known in my neighbor down the street. Other times he's not known in my office area. And, and, and while those are important for us to see that right now and around us are we called to push the gospel into, it doesn't culminate with just our street in our neighborhood in our city, it culminates with the nation's. We're beginning a three-week series on this call to be globally minded and push the gospel to places where it's not known. Our sermon series is called Not Known. It's on the, the pamphlets you received when you first came walking in. It's out of the text of Romans 15 where Paul says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel and to places where Christ is not known. 
Over these next three weeks, we're going to look, look and explore how the gospel calls us, compels us, and commands us to push and to go where it isn't. We're going to look at how going actually isn't just about the person receiving, but in the going, our own hearts are spiritually formed to look like Christ. And it's going to culminate three weeks from now as we gather around the Lord's table, as we come to find out that we were far off and a table in a spirit of hospitality welcomed us to come to know him in a real and encounter way. And might we use the same spirit of hospitality to invite others to know here and abroad. Are you ready to be pushed, to be prodded, to be compelled to go to see the gospel in a new way? If you believe that, would you say amen? Well, if you're taking notes today, I hope that you are. The title of today's first sermon in this series is called this, To Infinity and Beyond. The Gospel According to Buzz Lightyear. You're going to find out through this that I got kids. We don't watch this show a whole bunch. If you're not sure who Buzz Lightyear is, he's a cartoon character from the movie Toys. And I, Toy Story, sorry, Toy Story. <laughs> and I think maybe I've learned more about missions from Buzz Lightyear than anything else. We're going to look at three lessons that Buzz Lightyear teaches us about missions. But first, let's get to our text. If you have your Buzz Lightyear, Apostle Paul, and Jesus-approved Bibles, that's the leather and the paper kind, pull them out. Romans chapter 10 is our, will be our text this morning. Let me read this and we'll get into it. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites. Now insert into this anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Other nations, other places, or your neighbor. My prayer to God is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based in a real, accurate, precise, encountering kind of knowledge. That's the Greek word that Paul uses. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Skip down to verse 8. But what does this text say? What does our belief, what does our faith, what does the confession of our hearts say? That the word is near you. Somebody say near. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord and of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's get something real clear. You are solely and fundamentally saved by the confession of your mouth and belief in your heart. You ain't more saved if you go on a mission trip. You ain't less saved if you don't. You ain't more saved if you save all kinds of people, walk around with the tracks in your pocket and give all kinds of people stuff, or you say nothing. You are saved by one simple thing. You believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It is nothing by your works. If you have received that, say amen. 
And Paul here in, in Romans 10 says it really clearly. If that happens, if you hear this word and believe this in your heart, you're saved. But, but then in verse 14, he puts the heavy on us. He says, now let me describe how this is going to happen. How can these who do not believe call on the one who they don't believe? And how can they believe in one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The first thing that we learn about missions from Paul and Buzz Lightyear is this, that the nature of the message is one that goes. Buzz was driven by a singular message, and that was this, that the evil emperor Zerg and his evil days were numbered. And the nature of this message was so great, was so important, was so powerful that he would go to the ends of the universe to make sure that all of the peoples and all of the planets and all of the places would not be under the rule of Emperor Zurich and they would know they have been set free because he would arrive to tell them they have been set free. I think the gospel's a little bit the same. In its message, in its mission, and in its delivery. From Old Testament to New Testament, this is what we see. We were far off from God, under a reign of terror and darkness, and the word and the message came to us that we would know whom it was that was speaking the message. In Exodus chapter 20, God delivers the Israelites from enslavement, brings them to the Mount Sinai, and then Exodus 20 says this, as he gathered all the people together, he spoke these words. You read through the minor and the major prophets, and this phrase comes up over and over and over again, and the word of the Lord came. And there's a couple stubborn prophets that they didn't listen the first time, so it said the word of the Lord came again. Anybody thankful that you might have a stubborn prophet in your house that the word of the Lord comes to time and again? Or maybe you the stubborn prophet it has got to come to. That's me. John writing in the gospel says the word of God, the eternal word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Every one of these New Testament epistles were letters written by the hand of a man inspired by the Holy Spirit and sent to people who did not know him to hear the message of God. And if you read your Bibles, you get to Revelation. The end of the age is culminated by the God-man Jesus taking a message called a scroll and reading it, unwrapping it, and enacting it. See, in every case, there's a message and it was far from us, and it came near and to us, carried by someone that we would hear, that we would know, that we would be saved. And the message of the gospel is that going and coming. And the message and the nature of the gospel is that the word has come to us. Paul here would say clearly in the text in verses 1 and 2 that there's a people who don't have an experiential saving knowledge. And what happens to them? He's praying 
that they would become saved, that they would hear the word. Then in verse 8, he says, and this word is near you. The implication is that there was a time that it was afar off. And upon it being afar off, you didn't know whom it was speaking about. And that when you hear it preached, when you heard it declared, when you heard it proclaimed, something in your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit says, that is true, I believe it. And that same message carries both that it came to you and the impetus and the drive to then carry it forward as well. This word near that Paul uses is a word that the rabbis began to use to describe a proselyte who didn't fear God becoming to fear God. In, in its very nature, Paul is trying to say this message was far from you and now it's coming. And if we're going to honor the nature of this message, we must also carry it forward. There's a, a phrase I've come to use. I don't know anybody else that uses it, so I'm just going to claim it myself for copyright laws. It's called the law of intended purpose. This is what I mean by that. When God creates something, he places the nature and the essence of the thing he creates inside of it and then when he uses that thing in scripture, how he uses it describes what this thing is really like. Take, for example, mercy. Did you deserve the mercy that you got? Now, not everybody said that. I'm not sure. I'm going to try to decide. Did you deserve the mercy that you got? No, because inherent in mercy is the receiving of something that you can't earn and didn't deserve and yet have. Which is why scripture consistently says if you have received mercy freely, then you're what? Supposed to freely give mercy. And when we refuse to freely give mercy, we violate the very nature of mercy itself that we got without any deserving. You ever have somebody give you mercy and then make you feel bad about receiving mercy? Uh -huh, it's called manipulation. See, when they do that, they violate the very nature of mercy itself. I think the gospel is the same way. The very nature of the gospel, the good news, is that you didn't know it. And it became good because upon hearing it, it saved your heart when you believed it. See, see, and when we look in the text, every time this premise is wrapped around from Old Testament to New Testament, it's about this good news of salvation is always coming, always declaring, always walking, always being around us. And so the nature of the gospel is that it saves and it goes. It saves and it goes. It saves and it goes. And so might it be that when I in my own heart for whatever reason refuse to carry the message forward, I am violating the very nature of the gospel that I have freely received. And if I'm going to be a partaker of this great gospel that I have been saved by faith through Christ's righteousness alone, all I have to do is believe and I don't share that good news have I really even received it. About 17 years ago, I'm 
wife and I are living at a townhouse. I have my friend staying with us. He's upstairs. And uh, it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I hear this. Did you hear that? I said, man, someone's pounding on our door. Hey, honey, you want to go see who it is? No, not what I said. Let me go check. So go downstairs, open up. And there's this dude. He's standing on my front porch. Legit, this is what he says. Man, they got guns. Let me in. I'm sorry? Man, they got guns. Let me in. Ah, no. Come on, man. They got guns. Let me in. Like all you would say. Like, the more times you say it, doesn't going to change my answer. Got a four-year-old who knows that too. I said, look, look, look. I got a gate over here. Hide behind a fence. There's a water hose. Get some water. Amen. Shut the door. Went upstairs. My wife says, who was it? I'm like, oh, some guy talking crazy. Like saying he's got guns. He wants in. And my friend says, would you let him in? Like, why does everybody think this is wisdom to let a guy in talking about guns? And he says, wait, 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 let, let me get this straight, Joel. He was there for a prayer conference with me. He said, you, you've just spent a whole weekend praying for revival amongst the eight universities and 120,000 college students to come to know Jesus. You, you have made it your aim of the college-age ministry that you're currently leading to see revival happen amongst all kinds of people to come to know Jesus, and he puts somebody on your porch, and you don't share with them the hope and the faith in your house. How's that going to work? These two things cannot exist. And it's amazing how I'm so at rest and energized at an altar like this in front of me to pray for revival, but the moment for people who are not in front of me, who I will not see, have not met, but when somebody is staring at me in the face, time for me to invite in and share the hope of the glory that I was just praying about the night before, I don't push the gospel forward. And I wondered, did I even know what I was praying about the weekend before? Where have you received something, the nature of the gospel, that we've got to recapture the essence that it says this must be pushed out and shared? And who are you called to share it with? You've been divinely placed in a neighborhood. You didn't choose that house. You thought you did. You thought your realtor hooked you up. It wasn't. It was Jesus. You didn't choose that school your kids are in. They've been placed there. For a divine reason, that job you have, that boss, that manager, that person, that coworker who keeps gossiping about you have been divinely placed in your house. <laughs> How about your workplace, hopefully not your house, to share the gospel with because the nature of your salvation is a gospel came to you and it must be pushed forward. Can we grasp the nature of the gospel of the kingdom to be expressed? But see, it wasn't just about the nature of the messages to go. Buzz's nature itself was this. His nature of his creation was to go. Buzz was made for one thing. It was to go. Now, he had a catchphrase. Help me say it out loud. Well, what did he say all the time? Say it with confidence. Say it again. What did he say? 
to infinity and beyond. This wasn't just something that, mar- that, that, that marketing came up with. This was woven into who Buzz Lightyear was. He had rockets. He had jet fuel. He had a doohickey that went up back and forth to let him be outside in the, in, in the, in the space atmosphere thing. He was made. And the audacity of Buzz's declaration was no limits, no boundaries, pure expansion. There wasn't and isn't a place that I have not been made and constructed to go take the gospel. I, I, think, I think that's us. I think just like Buzz, our going matches our making. See, Paul pushes us in this text to say this ever-expanding gospel that was far away and is now near only gets there because somebody has carried it to those who don't know. Listen to the words that he uses. For everyone who calls on the name, they'll be saved. How then, verse 14, can they call? How can they believe of one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear when the someone has preached to them? And how can someone preach unless they are sent? I think maybe what Paul doesn't say is more deafening than what he does. Now, let's recount Paul's life for just a half a second. How did Paul come to saving knowledge? Jesus himself showed up in front of him on a horse and knocked him over. Now that's a pretty profound moment. If there's anybody that knows about angelic visitations, if there's anybody that knows about these glorious moments where Jesus himself comes, it'd be Paul. But Paul says nothing about that kind of gospel being proclaimed. You know, he does say, as another human journeyed from where they were to go declare it. I, I wonder if Paul had in view not Jesus on a horse, not Jesus standing in front of him on a road to Damascus. I wonder if Paul had in view Stephen being stoned in front of him as he proclaimed Jesus. Do you know that in the entirety of the New Testament post-Jesus' ascension, we don't see Jesus standing for anybody other than Stephen. There's a special reward for the martyr who dies for the proclamation that Jesus himself says stands up and gives honor to. I, I wonder if that's what Paul has in mind when he writes about people coming to know Christ not his own encounter. See, the biblical normative manner that the world begins to know about Jesus is not through the man in white coming to people in the Muslim world, though that's important, and yes, that happens. It's not through places of dreams and visions, though that is right and it happens. The primary way the church has expanded for 2,000 years, the primary biblical method is you and I get up from our places and go down the street or across the ocean to declare to others who don't know him the gospel. 
See, Paul's clear in verse 13, people will get saved. But then he says in 14 and 15, how it gets saved is we declare it. Going back to our law of intended nature, when you proclaim the gospel, when you, in one form or fashion, show the hope of glory to somebody else, you're not just doing a function of ministry. I think it's a part of our nature. You see, in Genesis, it says that we were made in the nature and the image of God. And yet our text, again, if we return to it, shows that we have a God who consistently comes and goes to us. Adam and Eve, he would come and he would walk with them in the garden. John, writing in the Gospels, it would say that the word himself became flesh and dwelled or lived among us. Jesus consistently, by his own life and word, said the kingdom of heaven is now near and at hand into your life. Jesus' last command to the disciples in the end of Matthew in the book of Acts is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, declare and make disciples of all peoples. And then what happens? He sends his Holy Spirit to then allow it to take place. In every letter you have in the New Testament, John, Peter, Paul, those were handwritten messages inspired by the Holy Spirit and sent to people in cities and nations who did not know. Everywhere we look, God is a God who goes. And we, in his nature, then also are to go. And so could it possibly be that when I choose not to carry this message to the world around me, it's not that I'm not just doing a command, I'm actually violating my very nature that I was created to be in his image, one who goes. And, and then in like manner, when I do go, when I do walk across the street, when I do invite into my house, that person who I know doesn't know. When I do get on a plane and go on a short-term trip somewhere, I'm actually most beautifully expressing the nature by which I have been made. See, what if you are most you? What if you are most like God's nature upon our sharing the gospel to others around us? But maybe, lastly, maybe most impactful for me wasn't just that Buzz shows me that the message is to go, nor was his creation to go. Buzz shows me that the nature of his go, the message of his go, was not limited by him. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but Buzz Lightyear was plastic. Even in the movie, he was plastic. I mean, he had rockets, but they were plastic. He had a little laser beam, pew, 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 pew. It wasn't real. But you could not convince Buzz that he was not made to go to the ends of the galaxy. Now, he had somebody. His name was Woody. 
And Woody kept trying to tell him, you can't do this. You can't do this. You are plastic. Stop trying to kid yourself. You, you are demented. You are off. You are all the words. He had a Woody in his life that kept telling him, you can't, you shouldn't, and you better not. But see, Buzz had this capacity to not listen to the Woody, but to listen to the Andy who was his maker and toy player, the little boy. And Andy said, come on, Buzz, we going. Andy said, I can take you to the galaxies and beyond. Andy said, you better believe them rockets are real. Andy said, you better believe that little doohickey thing on your helmet can work. And see, the problem is, is we listen to Woody's voice that says we can't and we shouldn't, not Andy's voice that says, come on, let's go, let's roll. Sometimes the Woody's voice is the enemy. And the enemy says, I know your past. I know where you were before the word came to you. And you ain't that far from that place to begin with. What you doing to go talk about Jesus? Sometimes the devil comes and says, you ain't got enough money in your bank account to go buy a plane ticket. Sometimes, though, the Woody ain't the devil. Sometimes the Woody is ourself. We say it ourselves. I ain't got enough education to do that. I don't speak any other languages. You know what they call somebody who speaks three languages? Trilingual. You know what they call somebody who speaks two languages? Bilingual. You know what they call someone who speaks one language? American. <laughs> How am I going to go on a plane, go somewhere else and speak some other language? I can't. I don't know. I don't, all I eat is Burger King. I can't eat somebody else's food like that. <laughs> you shouldn't eat Burger King anyway. Paul here is really clear. There's no disqualifier to this. Look what he says in verse 15. He says this, how can they preach unless someone is sent as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The premise of Paul's assertion here is this. If you are walking and talking the gospel, your feet are beautiful, period. Turn to somebody at your right and say, your feet are pretty. Online, just give me a whole bunch of feet emojis. <laughs> Paul quotes from Isaiah 52 here, where Israel is in a place of shame, and in fact, God says to them, you were defiled and ugly. But he says to them in Isaiah 52, I've made you clean. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. Put on my robe of righteousness and splendor, he says. And, and upon putting on the splendor that I have made you holy with, now go walk and carry the good news to others who are still sitting in despair. Your feet are not too ugly for you not to go. Your feet are beautiful as they are, and God says to your heart, just get walking. But Paul makes another thing here that I find so intriguing. The word that he uses here about it being beautiful is this word that's used about a flower, and it means that it belongs to the right season, and by implication, it flourishes or it blooms. 
that the truth is, is there are some areas of discipleship in my life that only come to bloom, only come to fruition as I'm willing to go and share. Maybe there are some cycles of addiction. Maybe there are some places that you are just struggling with. And the only way that thing is going to fully come to fruition and fully come to bloom is by your willingness to leave where you are and go and share. You see, our walking isn't just about the gospel compelling us. It's also about Christ's work to sanctify us. And I wonder today how many of us have pushed aside, have pushed aside the call to go because we're just not convinced he calls our feet beautiful. And you've allowed every kind of disqualifying voice to say you shouldn't or you can't. You're not enough. Can I say you are? Can I say to you that's the word of a Woody and an Andy saying to you, come on, let's roll. I know who you were. I know who I've made you now. And can we walk together? Your feet are beautiful. Quickly, here in the room and online, if you would say, I, I, I have really been battling the sentiment that I'm not worthy enough to share this message and this truth across the street or across the ocean. And I've been listening to a Woody's voice too long. I want to pray for you in this moment that that voice would get broken. If that's you, would you quickly stand to your feet? We want to pray that you would hear the voice of Andy that says you are not disqualified. If you're online, let us know. we got one, two, who else? Come on, come on. Time for the Woodies to shut up. Come on, come on. Who else? Who else need to say, I, I, I need a fresh sense. Come on, all over the room. Who else? I need a fresh sense. I'm qualified to go. I need a fresh sense that my past doesn't disqualify. Who else? Come on, you've listened to a lie too long. It's kept you from walking into the full blooming that you should have. Come on, who else? Two more minutes. Two more seconds. Come on, who else? Yeah, all over the room. If there's somebody standing up around you, would you quickly put your hand near them or on them or stretch them? Come on, everybody, everybody get somebody touching them. If you got to move around the room, that's all right. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Father, I ask you now for every person standing online and here that has heard the voice of Woody too loudly saying they're not qualified for this, saying that their past has said you can't go, you shouldn't go. I break that voice now in the name of Jesus. And I say to every one of these hearts, would you hear the word of the Lord that he calls you to go? He has arrayed you with splendor. And your past, your lack of supply, your lack of things, your lack of education, these are not disqualifiers, but these rather are the platforms for him to unveil and show God's glory in your life. And so Woody's voice be silent. And might you hear the voice of your creator to say, I've made you, I've formed you, I've fashioned you for such a time as this for you to go. Lord, we receive that now in your name. We pray. If you receive that, would you say amen? Lastly, before we move on, you received this booklet when you came walking in. 
has listed all of our global workers, all of our mission trips, a way that you can partner with money. I'm going to encourage you this month, this next upcoming weeks, to pray through this. But I want to I wanna give one more call of action. This Friday is our global gala. It's where our 30 global workers who are the heroes of our church have come. Number one, would you consider coming? $15 to get a, a plate of meal, but more than that, we're honoring the heroes that have come back that we can say thank you for going. But I have found in my heart that when I hear the call, when I hear the stories, when I hear the testimonies of others, it stirs something in me to go. And maybe you don't need to hear my voice. Maybe you need to come Friday night and hear one of our global workers declare what God is doing somewhere else. And that would be the stoke that you need to get from where you are and make him known in places that is not. You can get those tickets right in the lobby. Would you stand up to your feet with me and Pastor Melvin? 